I'm Brian Myers. I'm Mike Ritalik. I'm Becky Haddad. And this is Owl Pellets, a podcast featuring tips for ag teachers. We are your agricultural education resource across the web, sharing research-based tips and tackling the tough questions facing agriculture teachers every day. Hey, Owl Pellets, welcome back. This is Brian, Becky, and Mike here by the Owl Pellet. And I feel like I should like breaking news coming to you live from the Tennessee State Fair out of Janice Pig's, what'd you say, Explorer? Um, it's a government service vehicle, one way or another. Uh, government, you know, it, we're from the government and we're here to help. Um, you know, so I appreciate you joining us here today uh on Alpellets. Absolutely. I'm excited to be here. Definitely a hot day at the fair, so nice to get to ex- escape to my little car to do a little podcast. So we're not a hundred percent sure when this will actually air, but I mean, if it happens to be colder outside, uh, this the this think warm, happy thoughts of the state fair, wherever you might be, and that'll warm up that'll warm your soul, I'm sure. So, Janice, tell us a little bit about yourself and and what you're. Why are you at the state fair? Oh, you know, I'm just serving the agricultural dreams of youth of America. Um, so a little bit about me. I am originally from Starkville, Mississippi. Um, so I am a product of Mississippi State University as well as Louisiana State University. Um, I got my undergrad in um, ag education, leadership, and communication from Mississippi State. Um, went straight through then to my master's at Louisiana State um, to a master's of ag and extension education. Um, finishing up my master's, we had the lovely pandemic, kind of made it a little chaotic there for a minute. Um, Went to Tennessee State University in a curriculum development role, and then a year later transferred over to UT um, to where I am now. And so I'm currently serving as a student success advisor with the Herbert College of Agriculture um, here at UT. And so it's a really great position, and I get to meet a lot of different students, and so kind of get to do a lot of little different things that keeps it interesting and keeps me hot at the fair. Awesome. That is awesome. Well, uh, we appreciate you making some time today to talk to us about uh, uh, an article that you published with some colleagues there from Louisiana State University, the title being One Way Mirror, How Young Ag Leaders Understand and Experience Culture. So what are we going to be talking about today? So we're going to be talking a little bit about cultural competency um, and how it affects us as ag educators, how it affects the agricultural industry as a whole. Um, My study looked very specifically at young agriculturalists and how they were both experiencing culture as well as how they were kind of um, using those kind of cultural experiences to grow into a really well-rounded professional within the ag industry. Um, So that's kind of the the large, I guess, thesis statement um, that we all learned in English comp to do before the big, you know, paper of stuff but um yeah so that's just kind of an overview talking a little bit about culture and how it affects us as educators um knowing this when we are producing graduates who are entering the agricultural workforce so as we think about this before we get to the the big paper recognizing we've got we've got our good setup here can we can we back up and quick define terms in terms of both cultural competence and then culture because those can mean those, those can mean some different things depending on who's listening yeah no I think I think we have a a good that's a good point you bring up because 
throughout this paper, it kind of talks about the difference, uh, differences of opinion and differences of definitions. Um, so for this research specifically, we looked at um, a definition of cultural competence that was pretty well recognized. Um, so we see that cultural competence is very well established um, from a research and educational portion in the medical field. So that's where we see a lot of our um, definitions coming from. Um, with the idea of what is culture, um, I think there's one of those too many definitions to really narrow down one. It's definitely a uh, to even put it into a definition would um, kind of devalue it at some way because feasibly we can't get it all in one single definition. Um, but we tried, we tried. Um, and so we used a um, definition of cultural competency from 1989 um, from a group um, cross. They're developed, their definition is pretty well established within from a from a, I guess, survey standpoint, we see a lot of um, definitions from them, but the way they defined it is a set of congruent behaviors, attitudes, policies that come together in a system, agency, or among professionals that enable that system, agency, or professionals to work effectively in cross-cultural situations. So that's a mouthful. Basically, it's just um, kind of our mindset that we go into go into working in these culturally diverse situations and how we can effectively do that. So what mindset do we take into this and how do we, because that, that was a big part, right, of your study as we think about just initially, how, what did you find about how people go into these potentially culturally diverse situations? What's, what's the mindset? What are we talking about? Yeah, no. So it kind of, I started out this research looking at, I really wanted to develop like this training protocol for cultural competency. And then I realized I was like, well, we don't really know where our young agriculturalists are at to even begin to build some kind of training for them. Um, and so then that kind of led to where we look at with my study, um, we found pretty much four major parts. Um, one being that um, a lot of our young agriculturalists, um, they recognize that there's a ton of diversity in our field, no matter what. We have a high population of our labor being not from um, where we are all from. Um, we have a high population of immigrant labor as well, um, seasonal type labor as well. And so looking at the reality of the ag field and us having to be able to operate effectively within a cultural diverse system. Um, so I think when we look at this cultural anxiety piece, um, we really see our educators, especially our ag educators, they're recognizing the idea of having to produce those graduates who can influence and can educate and can truly enter into the ag workforce prepared to deal with those cross-cultural situations. Um, but what we found in my research was looking at kind of our, our young agriculturalists, they're a little bit concerned, they're a little bit stressed out about having those cross-cultural conversations. Um, so we saw this like cultural anxiety piece um, where we're concerned, we don't necessarily want to address um, certain topics or certain conversations, but we feel like this level of cultural pressure um, because we're producing these ag graduates that are going to be entering into the workforce, into higher education settings in a diversified industry. Um, and so that's kind of the gist of it. Um, but we really were able to find as we went throughout our study is that 
our agricultural producers, they really find themselves to be a a cultural identity in and of itself. And with that, we find that our consumers versus producers' perspectives were really getting lost in the middle. And so our producers weren't able to see the cultural identity of consumers and vice versa. Consumers could not see the cultural identity of of producers. But no matter what, we all, we, the literature and kind of the research in general indicates that we are pressured both societally as well as educationally and professionally to adapt to these cross-cultural situations. And so we see our ag producers and our agriculturalists, especially our younger um, generation of ag graduates, um, really being able to expand their cultural lens no matter what through both domestic and international traveling experiences. So that's a really good kind of overview. Yeah, I think I and I think you started to answer the question there, Janice. But um, you know, you brought to light maybe something that was was kind of obvious that you know we haven't seen these conversations, these discussions really being modeled before, and now we're being asked to do it. And so, and because we haven't seen that, there is an anxiety, and we're we're stressed and don't know how to do it. And so, rather than just faking our way through it or muddling our way through it, it doesn't happen. And so rather than that occurring, what kind of recommendations and suggestions do you have for starting to build that competency up and that self-efficacy in order to have those conversations as we move forward? Yeah, no, I I, that, I think that's a great point um, because it is really difficult to have. The, it's not an easy conversation um, to have, especially when you're not necessarily comfortable having it to begin with and you haven't um, had to address certain things or have those types of conversations before. I think one way that both ag educators and agricultural professionals all the way around is just kind of push yourself a little bit outside of your comfort zone, um, kind of have those conversations and recognize kind of the level of, um, I guess, the level of introspection that it's going to take um, to truly to truly have those conversations, have the have effective and impactful conversations without having um, kind of the negative side of it as well. There's a lot of cross-cultural conversations that are very helpful and kind of start small. Hey, you know, I see that your, your parents, I see, I see your parents are from a different country and you're here and I'd love for you to tell me a little bit about that. I mean, it, it doesn't have to necessarily be some large scale, um, kind of cultural, cultural, cross-cultural conversation to begin with, we can start small. And I think that's a big thing. It's just building up your confidence to do that. Um, because we've all kind of had those those conversations as educators who are like, oh, I don't know what to say. And I don't want to say the wrong thing. And so I just don't say anything. And then we kind of get into the avoidance is acceptance kind of conversation, which is also very difficult. And so I think starting small and um, asking lots of clarifying questions and approaching it from a respectful and a curious manner rather than a why do you do this and tell me why because it's different than what I am, you know, that kind of thing. I think it's more of a hmm, that's interesting. I never thought about that. Tell me more. I think I think those tones are very different, especially in an education world. Well, you, you mentioned this a little bit, you know, even if we. If we don't talk about it and try to ignore it, it just, it just makes it more uncomfortable down the road. And you did a few things there about what we can do. So 
what are your thoughts and recommendations for ag teachers out there? What are some things that we can be doing in our high school agriculture classrooms to help address this particular issue? As we talk about uh, intercultural experiences, and, and you mentioned, again, it could be it's domestic and international. So it, it doesn't just mean we've got to be thinking about going across the other side of the planet. There's a lot of things that we can be doing here. So what are some some tangible things our ag teachers can be doing with our with our students? Yeah, absolutely. I think it first starts in looking at our cultural lens can expand through very small things. I'm from a very rural area in Mississippi. Um, and when I moved to South Louisiana, like that was a huge cultural um, exploration for me. And that looked a lot different. So those small kind of, we don't, we're not, we don't have to fly across the world to expand our cultural view. Um, we can travel to Montana. We can travel to, I'm in Tennessee. There's vast cultural differences and similarities everywhere we go. And I think kind of making those connections without even having to leave the classroom is huge. So um, a big thing where I'm from in Mississippi is poultry, you know, poultry this, poultry that. And so coming to East Tennessee, poultry's, you know, it's here. It's not, it's not what it is in Mississippi. And so I recognize as an ag educator that I have to kind of tailor a lot of my examples to my students. Um, so I'm not using those poultry science um, timber type conversations that I did. I am, however, talking a lot about small animal production, rabbits, goats, things like that. Um, so I think that's one big thing is recognizing both domestic and international experiences are wonderful for broadening your cultural horizon. We really don't necessarily have to have those massive trips that you think. It can be just looking at the difference between the examples that you're giving and some of the activities that we're providing as well. Well, and I think it's in those small things that we really, we're not only de helping develop cultural competence in others, but we're helping develop it in ourselves. And I think about some of those conversations that you're talking about having when you like, I key in on where you said, you know, th there's similarities and differences everywhere we go. How do we help our students see those and acknowledge those and engage in conversations about those? Because I think so often, so often they don't even register because we kind of assume everybody sees the way the world the way we do and has the same experiences we had. And so we miss so many opportunities to really develop our own cultural competence or have the conversation because we don't even see it. We assume it, it's been the same for everyone. Yeah, and it's so interesting that you bring that up because that was actually one of the points within this research. I had one of the participants say, I never realized I had a cultural identity of my own um, until I went to college. Um, and being that this this project was situated in South Louisiana that is very culturally diverse and very has a very strong cultural identity. Um, she was like, I never realized that it wasn't common to eat jambalaya every Friday night, you know, things like that. And you're, you're right. It, it's the difference. We all are coming at it with some sort of cultural identity um, and we can all kind of grow and expand no matter what. Well, we talk about transferable skills and this thing that we have an opportunity to help really focus on with our school-based ag ed programs. And, and I'm sure, you know, you're there at the fair now working for the for the college and you're seeing those kind of things and understanding that talking across cross-cultural is not just a classroom or not just a group dynamic. You know, there's a lot of applications to other ways, other parts of life as well. And this is something that we can equip our students with to uh, to have that um interpersonal skills that we we want that so many employers are, are wanting to see here so how do you see this being used beyond just the classroom i see 
because our industry is continually globalizing, is continually evolving, um, both societally as well as the industry itself, um, I see this idea of cultural competency becoming more prevalent. And I also see we found some of the literature that states that a lot of students are able to recognize those culturally competent standards. Um, but even more, they are able to recognize when educators are not meeting them. So I think that's a huge point as well, is truly making sure, I see that becoming more prevalent, is making sure that our students are the demographic of our students is changing um, socially, culturally, and we educators have to change with it. Um, and I think cultural competency is going to be the massive kind of push for that. And I also think it's going to be the way to truly be able to educate effectively and evolve as society and our youth evolve. Well, Janice, this has been a fascinating conversation. Thank you so much for sharing your great work with us. You've given us a lot of things to think about uh, for ag teachers to be using in our, our own high school ag ed programs. I really encourage folks to uh, take a moment to look at the article, look at the different things we got posted here on social media and interact and really see some of the, uh, I won't say insignificant, but small way that you can really, uh, you really attack this thing that you've been talking about and how we're really helping our students develop these intercultural skills um in in very meaningful ways but ways that will help meet a lot of other goals that we're trying to do in our classrooms as well so janice thank you so much for spending your time today with us here on our pellets well thank y'all i certainly appreciate it um it was a great time great it's always nice to talk about my little research um so i certainly appreciate it we hope you've enjoyed this episode of our pellets check out our website for more information on this topic and to learn more about our guests Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram to stay connected. And be sure to subscribe to our podcast so you'll never miss an episode. For Mike and Becky, this is Brian here by the Owl Pellets saying thank you. And we look forward to seeing you again on another episode of Owl Pellets Tips for Ag Teachers.